Uh, my name's Matthew Means, and I'm glad to be here this morning. And uh, I recognize a lot of faces here, uh, but many are new. For those who don't know me, I, I won't bore you with all the details, but I um, became a Christian when I was in college at Valdosta State and uh, met Mike Glass not too long after that. And then um, went on staff with Campus Outreach for a few years. And then after leaving staff with Campus Outreach, came here to Christ Community Church back when we used to meet in Lewis Elementary. And uh, was on staff here for about three years while I was going to RTS. And then at the end of that time, left Christ Community with another family, the Roberts, Kim and Joseph Roberts, uh, who were part of uh, our church family here, to go down to the south side and plant a church down there. I sound really loud. Am I, am I loud out there? Maybe not. Okay, maybe it's just I'm close to the speakers. Okay, well, uh, glad to be here. This morning we're going to actually look at the passage of Jonah, and uh, I'm preaching this week and next week. Uh, I preached here since you guys have been in this building one, one time. I think it was about three or four years ago, and uh, I'm glad to be back. It's, a, it's always an honor to be asked to preach somewhere. It's especially an honor to be asked back again a second time to preach. Uh, so I'm glad to be here, and I'm, I'm glad I'll be back next week. Um, uh, start off with a, with a short story um, that, that I always uh, like to remember when I get asked to preach somewhere is that uh, you got to be careful not to think too highly of yourself. Um, there's story goes there were two farmers actually at a farmer conference uh, in, in Europe, and uh, the American farmer traveled over to Europe uh, to meet at this farming conference where they would talk about some of the newer ways in which to, you know, to grow their crop and to, uh, to be better farmers. And so uh, this American farmer, you know, was very proud of himself, uh, was very uh, proud to be over there and to represent uh, his home country. And he was talking to this European farmer, and they were talking about how big their farms were. Uh, and the American farmer was talking to the European farmer, and he says, you know, I, I, I uh, have a huge farm, lots of land. He says, uh, I can get up in the morning, and I can get in my truck, and I can start driving. And by the end of the day, when the sun goes down, I haven't reached the end of my property. And the European farmer says, yeah, I used to have a truck like that. Uh, so the point is, don't think too highly of yourself, but I am, I am glad to be here. I'm excited about um, uh, preaching from the book of Jonah for several reasons. One is that it's, it's one of the most well-known stories uh, in the Bible. And uh, most of us are familiar with it. Um, we're, we maybe have the, read the kids' book when we were young. Many of you probably have, have uh, the children's version. We do at our house, and the book is actually cut out and shaped like a fish. You know, and you open it up, and it's the story uh, uh, where God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah runs. God says, go, go, go. I think there's a kid's song. Jo Jonah says, no, no, no. Uh, we're all very familiar with that. But... Uh, what I, what I want to look at today is our story in the midst of Jonah's story. And the name of the sermon series is actually Jonah, uh, the gospel, uh, and I think, I, I think, yeah, and me. And uh, you could say that the book of Jonah is really our story. It's not just the story of a man uh, who was called to go to Nineveh. It's just not the story of, of a man who was thrown overboard uh, on, off a boat and swallowed by a fish and and uh, it's, it's really our story. And, and I think we'll find out in the next couple days, or in the next two Sundays as we look at this passage. This is, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tra trade this out so I can see my notes. I had LASIK surgery a week ago. And so my eyes, I've got to be able to see. 
um, and they tend to water sometimes. So if I start crying, it is excited that I'm glad to be back, uh, but it could, could just be the Lasix. Cubby, I'll make sure you get your uh, music stand back before you start at the, uh, your music at the end. So let me, let me pray for us. We've already prayed for, for our time in the Word, but let me take just a moment to pray once again that the Lord would bless our time together here. Father, uh, we do want to pause for just a moment and recognize that the authority and the power to change people's lives is, are not in the words that are said or in the things that are done, but by the power of your Spirit. So we do pray that your Spirit uh, would be here this morning, as we've already asked. Move in our hearts. Father, uh, use your word in spite of the one who brings it. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're the kind of person that likes outlines, uh, I've got three points this morning. And we're going to look at, first of all, uh, the casualties of sin. Second of all, the character of God. And then the last one, the uh, consistency of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Um, so let's look at our passage this morning. And I'm going to read, actually, uh, Jonah chapter 1. And then we'll, we'll hold off and... Towards the end of our time this morning, we'll look at Jonah chapter 2. But if you have your Bibles, I'll be reading the ESV version. So I encourage you to follow along with me or uh, uh, read along with the PowerPoint. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatzi, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a great and mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up, that the mariners were afraid of each they were, they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us thought, give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous and said to them, Pick up. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea quiet, will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men roared, rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish uh, for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And then the last verse says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I realized as I was reading that that I kind of stopped in my bio and just mentioned that I, last place I, or where I went from here was down to McDonough to start South Point Church. As I said, we were down there for, for seven years and planted a church called South Point Church, uh, which many of you here came down and served when we very first started uh, in our nursery helping us get going. Some of you came and visited uh, in the time that we were there, and many of you prayed for us and helped support us financially. Uh, and so, uh, in a lot of ways, South Point Church is a daughter church of Christ Community Church. I know part of the vision here uh, at Christ Community Church is to be a church-planting church. And that's in the DNA, and that's already happened uh, from out of this church that the Lord has used you and is using you to plant more and more churches. Now, I'm uh, actually, this time last summer, my family and I, we moved to Peachtree Corners. Uh, and uh, I'm on staff at Wesleyan School, which is a Christian uh, private school K through 12, and I teach high school Bible, uh, and I coach eighth grade football and high school wrestling. And so I uh, had the opportunity to be there for the last year and have really enjoyed that. And this is actually, I think, the, the first time uh, in the last year that I was asked to preach anywhere. So I'm glad to, to be here again and to, to preach the Word of God. It's a little different than teaching the Word of God. Uh, I was speaking to Jonathan Stuckett before the service, and he said, well, I read Jonah this morning once I, once I heard that you were going to preach that, so I'm ready. And I said, well, good, I might call on you if I have some questions. And so if I do, that's the teacher coming out in me, not the preacher. But we'll try to stick to the, to the outline that I have here. And first, I want us to just simply do what I try to encourage all of my students to do at Wesleyan School is just study the Bible. Just, just look at the Bible and see what it says. It's the Word of God inspired to us through His Spirit to be not... Uh, uh, an almanac of information, not an encyclopedia, but to be the literal word, the breath of God given to his people. And so if we believe that, if you're here and you're a Christian, uh, then uh, hopefully you believe that the Bible is the word of God to you. If you're here this morning and you're seeking, I hope you'll see as well that the Bible, uh, the scriptures have a special place uh, in the lives of not just Christians, but all people. Because all people are created in the image of God and are created to live in communion and community with God. And God's Word is one of the greatest ways that we can do that, that we can hear from God. And so I want to just simply this morning look at our passage, look at uh, Jonah chapter 1 and 2, and just draw out a few observations and then make a few applications or implications uh, from these observations to our life. And I think the first thing we see as we look at this passage uh, when we look at the book of Jonah, is that we see the casualty or the effect of sin, not just on God's people, but on all those around. And first look at uh, the first couple verses uh, of the chapter. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah uh, and said, Arise and go to Nineveh, this great city, and call out against their evil. Uh, the, the book of Jonah really should be the shortest book in the entire Bible. It really should just be two verses. God tells uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh, and then verse 3 should say, Nineveh got up and went. But he doesn't. He runs from the Lord, that he leaves the presence of God. He leaves where obviously God has met with him to give him this vision. And he doesn't just kind of meander in following God's will. He doesn't just decide, well, I'll get there eventually. 
The scripture tells us, Jonah 1 tells us that he went to Tarshish. Now, you may not be familiar with the geography of the area, but basically what happened, if we were to put a map up here uh, of, of, of Tarshish and Nineveh and where Jonah was when he went down to Joppa to get on the boat, you would see that actually what Jonah does is he goes the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. He chooses not to go slowly, not to sort of follow the Lord's will, maybe say, well, I'll get there eventually and take my time. He runs and does a 180 completely in the opposite direction of where God calls him to go. And we see the casualty that Jonah is about to experience when he chooses to not follow the word of God, to go against what God has told him. But I think what we also see in our passage this morning is not just that sin affects Jonah, but we see that sin also affects uh, everyone around Jonah. Because what happens, it says down that, uh, just a couple verses later, that he goes to Joppa, he gets on a ship, and then it says in verse 4 that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and a mighty tempest upon the sea, and the ship was threatened to break up. Now, if you understand the historical context here in the, in the time frame uh, that Jonah lived, which is about 800 B.C., uh, the sea was a very mysterious place. And the sailors, much like today, we don't always understand, although we can predict with satellite imaging and all that, we can't always predict uh, where Ernesto's going to go. Is it going to go south? You know, the, the hurricane that's out there right now, is, you know, is it going to go north? Is it going to go south? And they can predict, but you never know. And I haven't done much sailing in my life, but those who have talk about uh, how you can be out at sea and it be a clear day. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm rises up. And these men were in, in ships where their complete livelihood uh, was on the ship. And their job at that time was to get that cargo. They were leaving Joppa, going to Tarshish, and they had a cargo. And their complete livelihood, all that they owned, all that they had invested in, was to get that cargo from one place to the other. And what happens? It says when the tempest comes, when the storm comes, that God hurled upon the sea, that they threw the cargo overboard, trying to lighten the ship. They're, they knew enough about seabaring vessels that they knew if they were lighter, they had potentially the opportunity to weather the storm. And so they threw everything that they owned overboard, trying to save their very own lives, knowing that if they did survive the storm, when they got back, they had lost everything. They'd lost their jobs. They'd lost their source of income. All they had was their lives. This is because of the sin of Jonah. But third, I think we see the effects of sin uh, in verse 17. It says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And then if you look down at the end uh, of chapter 2 in, verse, uh, in uh, verse 10, it says the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish vomited up Jonah upon the dry land. And it, it actually says that, that the fish vomited up Jonah. So you see here that Jonah's sin first affects himself as he runs from the Lord and he experiences this, this storm that the Lord hurled upon him. And then it affects all those around Jonah with the mariners and the other sailors at sea and them losing their livelihood and they're and their escaping with just only their lives. And then also you see uh, the effect on the fish. And I'm not sure how the fish responded to the whole process, but surely... It wasn't a pleasing event. And you might think, well, it's just a fish. But I think the principle is true when we look at scriptures that sin that started in the Garden of Eden, when God told Adam and Eve, 
You, all this is for you, except this one fruit. All, all, of the fruit, all of the fruit of the garden is for you, pleasing to the eye, good to eat, but just don't do one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, what we see is that at that point forward, for the rest of creation, not only Adam and Eve, but their descendants and their descendants after them, and even creation is affected in a negative way by sin. Here you see God's creation again in, in Jonah with the, with the fish. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about this. He talks about the effects that sin has on creation. Romans chapter 8, if you have there, you can turn there. If not, I'll just read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but ourselves. And the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons and the redemption that comes through Christ. See, just like Jonah is not a book uh, about a man and a fish and God calling him to go, Jonah is about the story of redemption, the story that's told over and over and over again throughout Genesis to Revelation that God created God created Jonah. He created the fish. He created the seas. But something went wrong. Sin entered the picture. And now the bad news is everything's different. Everything has been tainted. Everything has been touched, including creation itself, by the effects of sin. But that's not the end of the story. The great news of the gospel is that God is redeeming all of creation. And there will be a time when not just Jonah, not just the mariners, the, the seamen, but also all of creation will be redeemed through the work of Christ. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. I'll get ahead of myself a little bit. But what about the implications for us today? What does this mean for us? Well, I think we can't help but look at Jonah's story. And as the sermon title says, the gospel, Jonah and me, it's our story. We need to ask ourselves, how is our sin affecting us? And how is our sin affecting those around us? our families, our jobs, our church. If you don't think your sin is affecting your family, you need to open your eyes and look around. You need to take a moment and think about that. If you don't think your sin is affecting your church, now I don't know details about what's going on in Christ Community Church, but I've been around churches enough. I've been around other people enough. I know myself well enough that the sins of the people in this room are affecting each other. And the casualty of sin, the casualties, is all of us. That sin has touched every one of us. If you're, here, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, the bad news is that sin dwells in our hearts. That sin has broken our communion, not only with God, but with each other. But there's good news to come. There's not just the casualty of sin, but there's the character of God. See, the story of Jonah it's not just a story about a guy who runs from God, but it's about a story. It's a story about a God that runs after a guy. The, the main character in the book of Jonah is not Jonah. The main character in the book of Jonah is God himself. 
Start at the very beginning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against their evil that has come up before me. You know, I hear a lot, especially being a Bible teacher, uh, students come up to me and they say, you know, Mr. Means, they say the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are completely different. The God of the Old Testament is all about wrath and all about judgment. Uh, and the God of the New Testament seems to be about grace and love. The God of the Old Testament just seems to be concerned about the Jews. And all he wants to do is take care of the Jews. But the God of the New Testament loves all people. And I say that can't be any farther from the truth. In the very beginning of Jonah, you, you can't help but wonder, why was God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh? To preach against their evil? Yes, but why? The same reason I started this sermon with the bad news. Because there's good news. See, if I were at work one day and I got a phone call on, on my cell phone, and it was a state patrol officer, and he said, Mr. Means, I'm calling. This is Officer Johnson from Georgia Highway State Patrol. Uh, and I just want to let you know I've got some good news. Your family's okay. Well, what would I be thinking at that moment? Why, why is that good news? I mean, they were, they were okay when I left this morning to go to work? I mean, why, why is a Georgia State Patrol officer calling me to tell me that there's good news that my family's okay? Well, he says, well, the bad news is, is that your wife, as she was coming up to uh, have lunch with somebody in, in Ackworth, uh, an 18-wheeler jackknife and slammed into your minivan and totaled it, and your wife's got a concussion and your son's got a broken collarbone, uh, and they're all in the hospital, but you're, they're, the good news is they're okay. Now, this is a fictional story. Now, all of a sudden, that I've heard the bad news, the good news becomes so much better. Well, the good news is that God is a God who doesn't just tell Jonah to go to Nineveh. We'll get there next week. He goes to Nineveh to tell the people the good news of a God who loves them. And the historical context here is that the Ninevites, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And without getting into all the history, but basically the Assyrians were the enemies of God. And in not too many years here in the distant future, the Assyrians are going to conquer the Israelites. And, and, and God knew all this. But what we see in the character of God is that God is a God who loves people, even those who set themselves up against him. See, the Assyrians were in the process of conquering all of the known world at that time. And it was only a matter of time that they would come down and conquer the Israelites. And, and God knew that. These people were setting themselves up against God. But God says, you know what? Instead of go wipe them out and just fix this problem from the top down, why don't I send one of my prophets to go and preach the gospel and fix this problem from the inside out? And you know the story, many of you, that that's exactly what happens. Really, the greatest revival in all of history makes Billy Graham look like an amateur. Jonah goes and preaches the gospel in the whole city. Even the king of Nineveh, which is the king of Assyria, repents of his sin. So you see the nature of God's love is for people. The nature of God's love is a radical, radical grace and love that sets itself up against those who set themselves up against him. But he conquers not with the sword, but with the spirit and the heart and the gospel. The character of God is not just a heart for people, but also the character of God is a heart for his people, for Jonah. In verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
And then it says again that the Lord hurled a tempestuous storm against the sea. It says that God appointed a fish. You know, a lot of times, and I can remember growing up, uh, whenever I get a children's Bible, uh, I always like to go to the book of Jonah, and I, and I always like to kind of see what the take is uh, on, on the book of Jonah and see sort of the theological bent of that book. And a lot of times when you read the book of Jonah, especially in kids' Bibles where they kind of paraphrase and they take a little bit of liberty, uh, a lot of times you, read, you get to that point in, in, in the kids' Bible when it says that God told Jonah to go to the Nineveites and, the Ninevites and tell them to straighten up. Uh, and when, when Jonah disobeyed God, God got him back until he learned his lesson. And I want to argue that that's not what the book of Jonah is teaching. The book of Jonah, I think, teaches that God hurled the storm upon Jonah, that God appointed the fish not to get Jonah back, but to bring Jonah back. Because remember, the book of Jonah is not a story of a man who meets God and runs, but it's about a God who meets a man and runs after him with his persevering love. That God loved Jonah enough that he hurled the storm upon him, that he appointed the fish uh, for Jonah to remind him of his grace, to remind him of his love, to remind him that God is a God that will not let go. I heard a quote the other day about the sufferings of life uh, and how God uses those. And it stuck in my mind. And put it in my phone. And about every other day I open it up and read it just to remind me of this very point. That God is a God who loves his people enough to hurl the storms upon us. To appoint the fish to swallow us. And the quote goes like this. If life were free of conflict, if life were free of struggle, if life were free of suffering, we would be content to live without Christ. Let me read that again. If life was free of conflict and struggle and strife, we would be content to live without Christ. Why does God bring these things into our lives? You might be at a point in your life right now where the Lord has brought upon you what you feel like is a storm. He has hurled a storm upon you. I like that language that Jonah used. It's actually the same word that the Sailors hurled Jonah out of the boat. Very intentional that God brought this about. And you may feel like the Lord has brought this storm upon me and I cannot weather it. I've thrown all of the uh, luggage out. We're doing everything. We're rowing as hard as we can just to get to dry land. And God has brought this upon me. Well, let me encourage you that God has not brought that into your life to get you back for something that you did. It's not because you've been disobedient or because your faith is not strong enough. God has brought that into your life to remind you that he's there. And how did Jonah get through the storm? How did the sailors survive the storm? It's when they gave up their own efforts and trusted in the Lord. When they obeyed him and entrusted him. Uh, we'll see that more next week. But I want to remind you that the character of God shows us that the book of Jonah is not about a man who ran from God, but it's about a God who ran after a man. As I said earlier that I have students sometimes say, well, the God of the Old Testament is one of wrath and judgment. Where here you have, 800 years before Christ, the story of God's love, a story of the gospel. And see, the problem was, is Jonah had forgotten. He obviously 
He obviously knew God well enough when God came to him and told him to go to Nineveh. He recognized him. He had heard the, He wasn't shocked by hearing the word of God, but he had forgotten that God's grace was enough. And you got to know that probably what through, went through Jonah's mind was he think, okay, you're calling me to go to Nineveh, which is our enemies that is about to squash us out, and you want me to stand up and tell them that our God is the real God and their God is not the real God and they need to quit trusting in their idols, but they need to trust in me. At that moment right there, Jonah had a choice. He, he either could say, you know what? God has called me to do it. And God is big enough and great enough to get me through this. God is the one that's called me to do this. And God is the one that's going to equip me to do it. Or Jonah, as he did, ran and trusted in himself. The, char the character of God, the consequences or the casualties of sin, and then the capacity of the gospel. I think it's interesting to see that even in the story of Jonah running from God's grace, of, jo of Jonah choosing to forget the gospel, that God still redeems the process. God still redeems with his persevering love, not just Jonah, but just as sin affected all those around him and sin affected the sailors and the mariners, look at verses 14 and 15. What happens? First of all, the mariners all say, or, or the sailors say, we're going to pray to our gods. And, you, you know, they all got together and they kind of huddled up on the, on the deck of this boat. And they said, okay, you pray to your God. You pray to your God. You pray to your God. And we'll get, we'll get this covered. We'll make sure that whoever God is that, you know, he'll get prayed to and we'll get this situation handled. And then they finally find out and they remember that Jonah told them when he came on board that he was running from God, which should have been assigned to them in the first place, may not be the best passenger to have on the ship. But they brought him on board, they remembered that, and then it says, after they threw him overboard and the seas calmed, it says they called out to the Lord and they said, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us the innocent blood for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleases you. So first of all, they recognize who's in control here. They said, okay, God, it's obvious here that you're in control. You told us to throw this guy overboard. We threw him overboard. You calm the storm. So they picked up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased. And what happens? It says, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and they made vows. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying that every guy on that boat instantly repented of all his sin and turned to the, the, the God of Jonah, Yahweh, Elohim, the God of the Old Testament, but it sure looks a lot like something happened there. It says that they sacrificed to him, that they had exceeding fear, and then they made vows. Well, what is a vow? A vow is a commitment. A vow is a decision that binds you from that point forward. And you got to at least assume that some of those men said, you know what? I don't know exactly who this God of Jonah is, but he seems to be in charge. So I'm going to follow him. If he can make the seas calm, if he can hear our prayers and answer them, that's the guy I want to follow. Because I've been praying to my God for years and I hadn't seen a whole lot of results. That's what happened to me when I was a freshman at Valdosta State College. As I went through, you know, 19 years of trying to figure things out on my own, and I came to the point where I said, you know what, God? And the Lord had hurled on me a storm. Can't get into all the details for the sake of time. But I came to the realization, I said, you know what, God? You created the entire universe. 
I believe that. And you created me. So your plan for my life's got to be better than my plan. That's what I want, God. I want your plan. And I said, from this day forward, God, I'm going to follow you. And just like the sailors, just like the mariners in, in Jonah, the Lord has been faithful. The Lord has calmed the storms, and he's brought other ones. But the Lord has gotten, gotten me through that. Never one time have I ever been called to do something that the Lord hasn't been there to walk through, to equip, to encourage, to give the resources of the gospel to you. Well, also, I think what we see, and we don't have time to get into this this morning. We'll look at it some more tomorrow. What happens to Jonah? Well, you're familiar with the story. What happens to Jonah is he gets swallowed by a fish, and he spends a few days in there. And just like, uh, just like the sailors, he, in a sense, comes to his senses, and he says, you know what? I think God has a better plan for my life than I do. And he says, you know what? I think I'm going to follow your plan. Chapter 2, the entire chapter, is basically a prayer that Jonah cries out to the Lord. And he comes to the point where the storm, the fish, all hurled upon Jonah's life to the point where he realizes, I need to look to God. He needs to be the one in control. And I love this. Verse 8. Remember this now. 800 years, 800 years before Christ comes and before the term gospel was really used uh, in the church, Look at verse 8. The, the ESV says, those who, repay, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Let me read that again. For those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, if you have the NIV, I like the way the NIV says this, actually. The, the NIV says that those who cling to worship idols forsake the grace that might be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake the grace that might be theirs. Now, Jonah had a lot of idols, and we'll see him come back up and more clearly next week. But the first idol we see in Jonah's life is himself. Because he says, you know what? God told me to do something, but I know better. Now, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Not just because... (laughs) If you're honest, it's our story. But that's really the heart of sin. What did Adam and Eve in the garden say? God said, all this is for you except this. And what did Adam and Eve say? You know, I I think I know better. Jonah came to his senses and he realized that those who cling to worthless idols forsake the grace that might be theirs. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're in this room, think for just a moment. Would you like some grace? I sure would. Would you like, see how the, some steadfast love? Steadfast, would you like that? I sure would. Guess what? Your idols won't give that to you. Your idols will not give that to you. Cubby put this quote in here. I love this. I read it before we got, I didn't tell him to put this in here, but I mean, this is it. This, you, forget everything I said. This is it. You ready? When idolatry is mapped into our future, when the idols are threatened, it leads to paralyzing fear and anxiety. That doesn't sound like steadfast loving grace to me. When it's mapped into our past, when we fail our idols, it leads to guilt and idolatry in the present life. 
When those idols are blocked and removed from circumstances, it rolls up into anger and despair. If I had to describe Jonah's life, it sounds a lot like anger and despair. And he came to his senses and he said, you know what? Those who cling to worthless idols forsake the grace and steadfast love that might be theirs. Where is that found? It's found in the only true giver of steadfast love and grace, and that's God himself. That's the good news of the gospel. See, Jonah's story is our story. We cling to those idols, whether it's power, whether it's success. I think the number one idol in suburban Atlanta is the family. The family's a good thing. But when it becomes an idol, it leads to bondage. It leads to death. It doesn't lead to grace and steadfast love. Those things can only be found in a God who created all things. Here's the rest of that quote. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that, you sh that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps best is worship. Louis Giglio, pastor, teacher, speaker, writer, he said, you don't have to teach people how to worship. We all know how to worship. If you want to see, just go to any sporting event on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. We all, we all know how to worship. It's intrinsic. It's who we are. Louis Giglio says, you've got to teach people to worship the right thing. Jonah was worshiping himself and his own agenda and his own plan. And he came to his senses and realized that, you know what, that just leads to bondage. That, what that leads to is being in the belly of a fish. And that ain't too great. That's the first half of the story of Jonah. It's the first half of our story. Let me pray for us.